All right, this is Steve Lambert, and this is the Pop Culture Salvage Expeditions, and I am in a brand new Chevy Suburban. Pat Gerardo and Steve Duncombe are coming up on the train to New York City. Pat doesn't know what's happening. Steve knows what's happening. Um, so this should be fun. Hi, Pat. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> this is quite a big... So is this our thing to drive around in a big suburban? Yeah. Okay. Over the past 65 years, Chevy Suburban has come a very long way. Introducing the best suburban yet. The all-new Chevy Suburban. Like a rock. I'm feeling pretty powerful. Right? You should. Yeah, and there's a whole seats back there. I feel like. Hey, hi. Don't don't you feel like? Ooh, it's. We should be yeah. running the gauntlet of something. Like that, there should be like cars behind us and in front of us, and like you know, like you always see like in New York City, oh, like, they go <laughs> whoop, 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 and then you see the big suburbans go by. You don't have one suburban; you have five suburbans. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you don't know which one the president's in or whatever like that. So there is. So what's it like um, driving this, dude? Well, immediately I just want to like cut in front of that guy. I want to like. You can because you're in yeah, a like suburban. He's like in a small jeep, <laughs> like sub suburban. <laughs> you can do whatever the f you want. Right. Yeah. There's this whole yeah. console thing in the middle here. Yeah, I mean, I think it has wireless phone charging. Do, do you think it has Ooh. like a beer cooler? <gasps> this is deep. This goes really yeah, deep. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that if we open that up, there's like beer there. <laughs> I have looked. There's not beer. Okay, I am gonna, I'm, I'm going to turn on my golf. heated seat. Oh, you got heated seats in the back? Oh, of course we got heated nice. seats in the back. Okay, I'm going to do that too. Back. Oh, but then if you get the third seat, you don't get shit. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. Yeah, well, that's where the kids go. <laughs> There's also like an AC outlet here, so you can play your Nintendo or whatever. Oh, cool, yeah. Is that what this so is? So we don't no. have to talk to each other. Right. Yeah, why? Why bother? And then uh, if you want the temperature different, I've got rear climate control up here. And um, there's four USB ports <laughs> up here. Oh what would you possibly do with four USB ports? I don't know, you know. it's. I don't know. But I do notice one thing. Well, I will need to charge my phone later. So. Yeah, well, you can charge four of your phones <laughs> if you really yeah. want. Now, the one thing I noticed is, you know, my car is actually probably two feet lower to the ground right and it's just right. it's a very different feeling like I li I really feel like right now I'm coming back from the airport yeah, like I, like I don't that. feel yeah. like I'm driving in a car of which I would drive it's right. like hey Steve we're going to take the Williamsburg Bridge <laughs> no, not, and I know it's going to take a little bit longer but we I don't want to pay for the tunnel okay <laughs> So, you don't mind, do you? Hey, how's the weather been? I had a question. <laughs> I, had I was on a bitch of a flight. I had a horrible flight. For you, Pat. Yes. Do okay. you know how to drive? Do I know how to drive? Yes. Yes. Okay, I wasn't sure because you're a city kid. I am, but yeah. yes, I did learn how to drive. Yeah. Um, so, Pat, have you ever driven a truck? I have. Okay, what is your experience driving large vehicles? Oh, I hated it. I was out in Seattle... And I uh, had, um, yeah, I was renting a car. And uh, then the only vehicle they had left was this huge truck-like thing. 
Um, and they thought I would be happy about it. I was like, I have no idea how to, oh, how to operate this crazy behemoth. So, do you remember, like, what year was this that you drove this? Uh, it's probably truck. early 2000s, like 2002, maybe. So, you haven't driven in a year and you haven't driven in a, tr a truck in f over 15 years. <laughs> well, it went like that. <laughs> I still remember because I could not um, gauge whether or not I was outside of the lines mm -hmm. of, of, yeah, when I was driving. And I went super, super slow. Right. Um, and thankfully, the hotel I was staying in, it was just like, you know, I didn't have to parallel park or anything. <laughs> I don't think I could have done that. But yes, I hated, I hated the experience. So Steve, what is your experience with truck driving? With truck driving? Um, every time, for a while, Avis or one of those had this deal where you could rent pickups for $25. Yes. And so every time I'd go out west, I'd rent a pickup. Yeah. And every once in a while, they wouldn't have the regular pickup, so they'd give me the massive 4x4 with a double cab and things like that. Which, you know, you'd be in New Mexico, and you'd be doing 90 miles per hour on the highway without not yes. even knowing it. So I, I like driving trucks. I mean, I have the my Jeep, which is, you know, a mini truck, but it's just got this... You could fit a Jeep in this truck. I know, you can totally <laughs> fit a Jeep in this truck. But it's the one thing I don't like about this, and this is where my Jeep is cooler, is my Jeep is a stick. Ah. And the stick, this is this is a different type of SUV. Like mine's four-wheel drive, high-low, yep. and you, you have to jam it into the gears. I mean, you have to feel it into the gears. Right. And this is like just a... It's a, it's a, like we're driving a marshmallow over this. Like, <laughs> why do you have a stick in New York City? No, I don't. This is up in Cape Cod. Oh, okay. Yeah, and and that's and when you go over things there, it really rattles you, and it's like the shocks are bad, and you really <laughs> feel like you're driving a truck, which is like the pickup truck thing. And, but this, this is like you could run a human over. <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't know if this is gendered or being a New Yorker, but I don't even know car names or car models for. So when you say a Ford two hundred and fifty, it's just. It's probably both. Right? No image comes to it's also mind. Probably you. <laughs> yeah, <so. laughs> you just don't care about, about car. But but like, to be serious, I mean, part of this idea of the pop culture salvage expedition is like, okay, well, what's cool about this? Because people obviously love SUVs. Um, they drive them. They buy them. And what is it about this experience which fulfills some deep need? So I have some insights on this. Okay. Because I have driven trucks. Um, I have a far more experienced truck driving than you, Pat. Um, <laughs> so a couple things. So one was my parents made furniture. So as long as I can remember, my dad had a Ford 350, I think, truck with a flatbed back. Nice. And when I he was around... Isn't there an Eagles song about that? I don't know. Yeah. Take it easy. There's a girl, my lord. Wait, stopping down with a flatbed floor to take a look at me or something like that? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh. Okay, sorry. Okay. A bit trivia I did not know. Um, <laughs> and you're not going to figure out from my lyrics. It's not even close. But anyway. so it was definitely like a, a truck for their business. And when I was like 18 or 19... That was a vehicle that somehow I ended up driving. So when I used to 
I was went to a commuter community college, you know, and I parked this giant flatbed truck in the parking lot, and that's how I would get to school. And I could like parallel park it, and it became like second nature for a while. And then um, my mom also, and here's a reason I think why people get cars like these, at least in my family, this was a story. So my mom had many brothers and sisters. One's name was Susan, and she lived on um, the island of Saipan uh, in the Mariana Islands. And um, there were, I think the vehicle safety laws were a little bit more lax. So this was pre-seatbelt laws, but a lot more drunk driving on the island. And my Aunt Susan drove pretty much the same pickup truck that my mom drove. And she would, my mom put up us kids in the back with the camper shell so we couldn't fall out. And my Aunt Susan, though, did not have the camper shell and got into a car accident. And my Aunt Susan died. And the kids were thrown from the truck. And it was like a really serious thing. And after that, my mom was really freaked out and sold the pickup truck and bought a full-size Ford van. Because it was safe. Right. And, and you know, she was freaked out about this. Um, so it's sort of understandable. But also there was another thing, which was there were three kids. And each of us got a row, right? One of the bench seats in the back. So there was no fighting about who got what seat and who was on what, what side of the seat and stuff. And then they could also take some of the benches out, move furniture put bikes in the back and like you know take us somewhere we'd ride our bikes put the bikes back in the van and that was like you know I learned how to drive in the van too so um, I think there are a lot of you know we're in Westchester I think there's a lot of parents and moms and there's a perception of safety in these cars which is you know I was going to say safety too that kind of jumped on me because I've probably known more people who have died in car accidents than by any other means. Sure. And uh, was in car accidents myself. So, yeah, there is this sense of safety. And it's funny, we were talking about uh, driverless cars uh, <laughs> as we were coming up on a train. And one of the things I said, and I truly believe this, is right, driverless cars are going to be accepted because it will help relieve every parent of a teenager to know that their kid is safe and that there's no drunk driving involved. There's no, right? It's just a lot of sex. (laughs) (laughs) Again, much safer than uh, cars. And uh, yeah, it's that sense of safety because we all, you know, have that anxiety um, being inside this vehicle. And I think there's a good percentage of people who know people who have died in car accidents. So right. the but more we can make it safe, um, that's going to sell. But I think it's also, you both said, I think Steve said perception, Pat, you said sense. I'm not sure it necessarily is safer. Like uh, a Volvo has a steel cage on it, right? And so that is a safe car. This may be safe, right? But okay. it's that sense of safety, right? And my hunch right. is it is safe. But if you just, next time a car goes past us, look out the window okay. and look at where they are compared to us. They like literally are like, they're little people. And so it's, it's like, you just feel like you could, you could roll over on them. Right. Right. It's not like if we have a crash, you'll be equally crashed. <laughs> right. And if you're in a Volvo station wagon, you're kind of down low. And so right. it's like, you're with the little people. It's just like this sense of like, yeah, if we're going to have a big crash, we're going to flip over. Right. Them. Well, 
the flip of that is when I'm driving, you know, and I drive in regular <laughs> cars, it's I'll pull back from one of these yeah. big Suburbans BMS. because... A what? Why didn't they call it the Chevy BMX? <laughs> <laughs> right, because it's just I, I don't want to... Um, I don't want to get into a collision with it. With so yeah. part of part of what this car is saying is get the f away from yeah. me. So let, I want to go back to the driverless car for a second because yeah. this is really interesting. Is because if it is about safety, and I think in the sense of safety and the perception of safety, which I think you're absolutely right about, um, driverless cars will be much more safe. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not for the person, uh, people on the side of the road, <laughs> exactly. But um, certainly for the people in it. But will it feel safe, or will it feel less safe? Because this is really about feelings, right? Right. And so if we were going to be do rational planning for transportation, we would not buy everybody Chevy Suburban. Right. What we would do is have driverless electric cars. Right. But if people are buying them not because they really are safe, but because they're perceived safe, how are we going to build that sense of safety perception into new so modes of transportation? Here it will feel luxurious. Okay. And it will feel futuristic. You will feel pampered, right? And that I think that's going to be another great selling point, right? Well, so. I think I think we're in that in this car, right? Yeah. Like it's very quiet. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there's quieter cars, but for the size of the engine and for a truck, you know, it's pretty quiet. And there are a lot of amenities around. Lots of leather. Yeah, leather. My heated seats. Oh, you guys. The heated seats feel amazing. Yes, I love it. You'll see this later, but there's like a button up here that moves the front or moves the uh, gas and brake pedal forward and backwards, so you can put it wherever you need it. That is awesome. (laughs) Because I can never get comfortable in mine. It's like I pull the I can pull the the thing back, but it doesn't really work for me. But there's a lot of little details in this car that I think make you feel. In control. In con- yeah, everything yeah. is at my fingertips within arm's reach. I got this whole display. There's two screens here. Well, that, maybe that's part of what it's about. It's just about control. Like, big engine, safety, lots of amenities. Mm. You really feel like you're in control, which if you think rationally what's happening, we're, what, we're doing like 60 miles per hour. We're trusting ourselves to absolute strangers on either side of us mm-hmm. not to steer into us and kill us. There's a and lot. if they do, we're in a suburban. Yeah, yeah exactly. Nothing's going to happen to us, man. <laughs> but seriously, there's like, we're out of control. Right. We are out of control. Like, there is so many variables possible, including the deer that's going to run out in front right. of us in a, f- a few minutes. Um, and to have the sense of control, even if it's not control, and then just expand that to our whole lives. Right. Right? There's so many things I don't control in my life. Mm. But you get in one of these... And, like, you can move your brake pedal up. But I, I, driving the car, too, like, I'm not, I'm not worried about other cars right now. Like, I wouldn't want this car to get damaged, and, of course, I don't want to get into an accident. But if I were, like, I'm not, I'm going to be fine. (laughs) That's the sense I get. Like, when I drove this back from the rental car place yesterday, whenever I drive around the roads uh, near where I live, I'm like, deer, where's the deer, right? At night. Right. I'm like whatever, <laughs> you know. Like, to do. yeah, it, I'll try. I'll hit the brakes, but it's not going to be a problem, mm-hmm. you know. Where my little car, it's like con- constant vigilance, you know. Mm-hmm. And and there is, I mean, I don't know. I think you also get used to it. I haven't driven a truck in a while, but 
Um, after a little bit on the road, you start to get a sense of where it is. This even has like, there's a car in my, what would be my blind spot if I didn't oh. use my mirrors well. And there's a little light that comes on that says, there's a car on your oh. left. And on oh, that mirror yes. too. I've had that. I've seen that in cars. Yeah. I just have a wonky big blind spot. <laughs> and the rear backup camera too is like, makes you feel more confident handling the size of the car. Um, it is a hassle. Like, you know, I had to pull this out of the parking space yesterday and I was like, oh no. You know, because if there wasn't quite enough room, and I'm just always afraid of like nicking somebody as I make a turn. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, if you drive this thing every day, I think it becomes normal. So let me ask you this: How long does it take to understand the car and how it works? Well, a lot of this stuff isn't too dissimilar that from the car that I have now. Okay. There are some buttons down here. I think that switches the position of the seat for different drivers oh, and yeah, I'm not right, quite right. sure how that works okay. um, but a lot of this stuff is familiar you know it's like there's a universal language of symbols for heated seats and you know how to cue um, Siri on your phone or whatever like all that stuff is the same from car to car and so if you were to buy this car would someone walk you through that would someone teach you that or is it just trial and error I think that um, like when I bought a car recently, they went out and were like, what do you, you know, do you have any questions? They went over the entertainment system with us really quickly. <laughs> um, and I don't think we've ever really looked at the manual and haven't felt like we needed to. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in that way, I guess it's kind of intuitive, okay. but there, there's new safety features on modern cars, which are, um, one is like following distance and and if there's risk of a forward collision right the car will alert you to it start beeping like i could drift i should drift out of this lane and you'll hear it. i'm just gonna do this and it's pushing me back oh that's oh. creepy that's no. creepy i like it but uh, <laughs> uh yeah as you try to move from one lane to another if you're not signaling the steering gets a little more stiff um to prevent you from doing that accidentally. And it will I beep sometimes too. Well, okay, so one of the critiques of this massive automize, automation of cars is that it makes you lazy. It's the nanny state coming <laughs> into our vehicles. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, it's this sort of, well, I mean, it's a bit of that, but it's also like, this is why I like stick cars. Right. They take a lot of work. Um, and the, you have to, you're constantly aware that you're driving and do you have to downshift? Do you have to upshift? And you have to turn your head to make sure the blind spot. I could see falling asleep in this really easily. Yeah, but if you do, it'll yes. be, it'll be ah. to wake you up. See, like when I want that, I'll ride a motorcycle. Okay. So let's, let's, <laughs> this is where my conservatism comes into play, right? Uh, uh, attached right. to the fear, right? I don't trust people in driving. I want the right. Sure. I want it automated. I want as much as possible to right correct our humanness yeah. um, around being in vehicles. It's yeah. So I'm just like bring it all. Yeah, just make it more automated. Have it right. Yeah, I love the idea when you were drifting that it like stiffs up. Yeah. Um, I'm perfectly fine with that. So one of the things we do in these pop culture salvage expeditions is once we've talked about the thing or the experience, we then say, well, what sort of lessons can we learn from this (laughs) and apply it to activism and advocacy? 
And as you were talking about the nanny state and the sort of the instinctual response against the nanny state that most people have, no one's going to tell me what to do. I'm like, oh my God, our cars are telling us what to do and we're pretty okay with that, right? And so like, how do we capitalize on that and say, like transfer the whole sort of set of relations of a Chevy Suburban over to the healthcare industry? <laughs> Okay, I love that question. I think for me, it's like, what? So my car has some of this stuff, my personal car, and for me, it's it, there's an ease. I don't have to worry about it. Um, I know that the car will catch if I'm not paying attention and drift out of the lane. Um, that I'll be alerted to that, and it's like it, I do think of it as a safety feature. Um, like I think of a seatbelt or, you know, the, the fact that the windshield won't shatter and, and spray glass into my face. Like there's, there's these things in place that keep the worst thing from happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know if I'm the, the perfect example of a, that kind of person though, you know, like I think there's other people that are like, no, I want total control over the vehicle. Like I don't want some sensor telling me what I can do and can't do. But I think you're right, though. I think those are in the minority now. I mean, I I think that you have this big macho truck like we're in now, Mm -hmm. which is basically a nanny truck. (laughs) Right? And you got these guys, you know, with trucks like this that, you know, pry the gun out of my cold, dark, you know, hands or something like that. Cold, stiff hands or, you know, and then they're driving a nanny truck. But this also is the station wagon truck, right? The the way that this is described and in that in your dossier that I've given you is it's a truck with a station wagon um, body, right? So you've got the pickup truck front with station wagon back, mm-hmm. and I think that the, the the people I see driving this are car services, you know, the Secret Service and moms. Yeah, you know, this is the feminine version of of the Chevy full-size truck line. You know what I mean? Or, you know, if you have a family and you live in Montana and you're like, this is the station wagon if you're, um, if you actually have to go a little bit off-road to get home or something. You know what I mean? Or or tow stuff, like a a camper or something like that. Yeah, yeah. You get, this is, you take the whole family and the boat. But, But I think that there is something about, like, that instinctual response against being taken care of, that American individualism, and so on and so forth, that somehow Chevy has kind of cracked that. And so that there's enough of, what do I say, symbols of independence which come with a truck that then we allow ourselves to be taken care of simultaneously. Well, maybe it's not the nanny state, maybe it's the slave state. Right? So oh. it's just like, <laughs> oh, yeah, my truck will do it for me. Yeah. I can, yeah. you know, I can sit on a porch and have my iced tea and... My bourbon. My, my, uh, <laughs> right? And julep. everything yeah. will be taken care of. Right? Because we yeah. have, right? It's a mixed um, history that we have. Sure. Yeah. It's like many, American... Right? So it's, yeah. it's just, oh, yeah, you take care of it, truck. This is the lower work that I'm too important for anyway. So. That's how we think about cruise control. Right? Yeah. yeah. Let the slave drive at 75 <laughs> exactly. miles per hour. Yeah. I can't afford a driver, but... <laughs> exactly. Right. 
Well, that's a negative way to look at it. I was going for the positive nanny state. Oh! Like, well, I mean, because I'm just trying to think of, like, what could we, how, what could we wrap around, you know, socialized medicine in order to make people feel also rugged and independent? Huh. Well, the you thing know, to me about socialized medicine is it helps make you independent. I mean, you uh, know. Maybe that, Yeah. I, I don't know if I'm getting that from the Chevy Suburban, but, um, <laughs> you know, like if you're, if you have to, if your healthcare is connected to a job, you're not independent. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're, All you're, right. you're stuck with that job or some other job. You're less free to make choices. So this, and this goes back to the slave thing. Right. This is the dependence which allows you independence. Right, exactly. Like, Thomas Jefferson can write the Declaration of Independence because oh. he basically doesn't have to worry about shit because he's got 200 slaves on his plantation right. taking care of every need. Right. Yeah. And actually, what popped into my head is, right, especially when we look at the healthcare system, when you're dealing with healthcare, you're usually it's because you're ill mm-hmm. and you don't want to be rugged and independent. You want to be taken care yeah. of. And so it's a different, uh, right, you want to be cared for in that moment. You don't want to be... Um, independent. You want your seat. Warm. Uh, this it feels like, amazing. This is, exactly. <laughs> I want my, yeah, my butt to be warm. When I'm I want this on my couch at home. I totally <laughs> I totally but Yeah, but they've kind of figured out, like, how to balance these things out, right? This sense of independence. You can drive the car. Right. You can be real tough. And you want to be taken care of simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And they've, that we feel very comfortable in environments like this. And so when we people talk about, oh, socialism would never work in the United States, people want to be too independent, and so on and so forth, I like this idea of actually dependence so you can be independent. Mm-hmm. That whole sort of, it could be a good ideological sort of shift. Hmm. Yes. So Steve, I, I we'll think... We'll leave uh, out the slaves and Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> <laughs> I think but it, it is part be, of the, the... Oh, that's going to come back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it might be time for you to take a turn at the wheel. No, no, no. I'm, I'm enjoying being a passenger. I, but you got to... You can't just... You okay, have to you ex- really want do the full experience. Okay. Yeah. But you know I'm going to try to drift out of the lane. Just yeah, for, sure. For the hell of it. Remember, oh, you know, It's not our car. Chevrolet. Find new roads. So, Steve, you've got navigation there. Okay. So, oh, navigation to the next site? Yes. Okay. The, and Steve just jumped uh, into the car and started okay. driving. Okay. Did it look to change you know the mirror? Or? So I don't... You, you having trouble? I need to use the... How does one do the wishy-washies? Oh, uh, that's on the left <laughs> stick? Like that. There you go. Okay. That's the one thing that they haven't seemed to have standardized. Yeah. On different cars. See, when I rent a car, I spend oh. like 15 minutes like learning the car. Oh, like, really? Like doing all the buttons before I... Why bother? <laughs> Why bother? I, I forgot. I, I value gotta, I gotta my life. I this thing too. Watch this. Wait, <laughs> what what's that? that? That's the mirror so you can watch the kids. Oh my no. God. Yeah. <sighs> Keep an eye. Nanny state. <laughs> Nanny state. <laughs> <laughs> So the other thing I noticed driving this car uh-huh. is that there's part of it that's about, like, um, this is a nice car. Yeah. That everyone, if, well, okay, okay. so t- two things. 
One is like, this is not a car for me. This car does not reflect me, right? Okay. Like, it feels weird to drive it. It feels weird to for it to be in the driveway at my house, right? right. It's like, no, 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 that is not me. Not right. my identity. Right. And how much people think of cars as like an extension or an expression of their identity. Right. And then the other part of that is that this is a really nice car. And so if you're driving this and you show up to your friends and pick them up or whatever, they're like, they know it's a nice car, right? Yes. Like you're, you're not only projecting part of your identity, but like an aspiration of who you are. Right. Like I'm, a, I'm a person who has a nice car. I'm a person People that are nice here is a little, <laughs> a little rugged, well, a, little, um, a little rugged, a little bit luxurious, you know, but you're, everyone knows that a Chevy Suburban is an expensive car. You know what I mean? Okay, yeah. And you're telling that. You're telling people I've... It's a way of telling people I can afford a nice car. But a very particular type of nice car because you could afford a Lincoln, right? right. It's but not it's, a Land Rover. It's not a Range right. Rover. It's not it's a stuck-up... It's not a stuck Porsche up. SUV. Right. It's not the dick... Like, you're not a stuck-up jerk. It's the not fancy, fancy person's car. Wait, so exactly. how much does this car retail for? How much does it cost? Around fifty thousand dollars up See, to seventy. I would not have known that. Wow, yeah, that's, that's a lot. I mean, for me, all cars are expensive um, because they cost more than a subway ride. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fifty to seventy depending on the trim. Wow, package. I would not. It looks like we got some luxurious trim. So people just know that. I think. How do you know that? I know from looking it up, but I didn't know how expensive it was. I might have guessed a little bit less, but I don't know. Okay. But, you know, it's a, it's, I don't think that there's a cheap version of this car. Okay. You know what I mean? Right. And it has all the indicators of like being a nice car. This is not an economy car. This is not a practical car. You know what I mean? What's the cheapest cars go for at this point? I think like, Maybe seventeen thousand. See, that's a ridiculous amount of money to pay. What's that for a vehicle? That seems outrageous. What seventeen thousand dollars for a car? You you think that's a lot? That's a lot. Who has that? (laughs) Well, well, one is you don't pay for it outright. Yeah, you get a cheap loan and you pay it. And they're like literally one one percent financing or point oh one percent financing. So yeah. And how long does it take to pay it off? Oh, like five years. years. Yeah. Five years? Yeah. So, you know, you, your car payment could be, you know, three, four hundred bucks or more. A month. Yeah. Okay. Well, and if you move outside of the city, you have to have a car. Right. Right, and which would mean that it should be a lot cheaper, shouldn't right. it? If well, except that it's not. I mean, this is the thing that was happening in France. Because the average was, American family income yeah. is just under 50, right? thousand dollars right. but because of the layaway plan you know it can be a couple hundred dollars a month so you can afford it but it is it's one of those things like a um, cell phone bill and all of those that just starts adding up until you realize you're broke right and this is I think you know there's a Westchester mom wealthy mom that has three kids or two kids and you know thinks of this as a practical car to take them to the mall and stuff but this is also I think an aspirational car for people that don't have that kind of money and figure out ways of making payments for a little while (laughs) you know (laughs) until they can't and then they get rid of it Um, 
Yeah, but it is it is an expensive car, and I think what a lot of cars like do are both presenting who you are and your values and who you are who you're trying to be. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't know I, what I mean. I, I don't, but it's also making me think, oh, so it can only be legible to other people who understand it. And so if you're projecting this and you're around people who are not getting it. Who are not it, car literate. Right, right. Who are not car literate. Right. You probably don't yeah. want to hang around with them as much. Well, what did you think when I rolled down the window and said hi when you first came up? Right. I, I, I noticed that, wow, you're in a huge car. Is this going to be our thing, riding around in a huge but car? But you didn't think this is Steve's car. No, I didn't think it was right. your car. Yeah, because this it was, was not me. Right. Nor did I think it was $15,000. I just thought it was obnoxiously big. Right, um, right, right. right. A $17,000 car, by the way, is a cheap car. Yeah. A cheap car. It's the low end of Like twenty five, thirty would be like a mid-range, you know, like a Honda Civic or something would be like $25,000. Okay, you're blowing my mind. Okay, this is where I'll admit I live in a bubble. <laughs> well, maybe we not... all maybe we all live in bubbles. I mean, that's yes. the thing is it's sort of like this works because it signifies to some people that I've arrived, that I'm not stuck up. I'm, you know, I've got a lot of power and I mean under the hood and but I also take care of my family. It's got a whole sense of signifiers. And then to us it's just some asshole with an SUV. Um, Where's the and gun then, holder? And then for some <laughs> other people, they're just they, it, there's no register whatsoever. It's just like for you, it's just like oh, that's kind of a big car. Yeah. So Steve, you're driving now. How's it feel? It feels okay, but it's more. I thought it was going to feel better. In the end, it just feels like a a new car. What did you want? I wanted it to be as special driving. As it is looking and being in the back seat with my butt warm, and so the, I was expecting something more, a little let down. Maybe if you tried your hands right. at ten and two, it would feel better. I knew you were going to do this. I knew it. So that felt a little better. <laughs> I knew you were going to slam down the gas pedal. Once we got on the highway, it was just a matter of time. Just to make it feel. I told Victoria last night, Steve's gonna, we're gonna get on the highway, he's gonna jam the gas pedal now. But, let me okay, just but no, here's the thing it sounds much more boss than the pickup. Like, the pickup's okay, but it sounded, I mean, that's interesting. Yeah. Watch this. But I'm not going very fast. But boy, did that you sound do good. It right, because Stop. the car knows that the road is wet and you shouldn't be speeding Yeah, exactly. Up like that. You know what that is? The nanny state. <laughs> it sounds powerful, but it's basically like taking away my manhood. Do you guys know <laughs> that? Think of it as your better angel. So yes, like, exactly. Hey, Steve, maybe well, you don't want to kill everyone they, in a car. But they, you know, they. So this is something which probably you know, maybe you don't know. Um, the sound of cars has to do with the tuning of the exhaust. And so a Mustang engine can sound like the quietest engine, or it can be tuned to sound really boss. So what they've done is they've tuned this to accelerate and sound like that. Ah, Because there's there's no necessity for it, and they've tuned it that when it's not being accelerated, it's very, very quiet. Now, can I blow your mind? Yeah. 
that I could read. More here. recently, in um, I think BMWs and Audis, I think they've started routing um, sa- engine sounds through the stereo. No way. To make it sound oh like God. you want it to sound. And it's entirely like a digital fabrication. So what can we learn from that and apply to activism? Good question. No, and it goes back to this notion of we want a car which fits us. Right. Right? And it fits the idea of what I want it to sound like when I accelerate, what I want it to feel like, what I want other people to think of me. Who you are and who you want to be. Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe more who you want to be. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think it's more aspirational. It's more an ideal than it is, you know, a reality. Or mm-hmm. who you want to be and who you want to be seen as. Yeah. Right? Well, there's that. I, I'm also loving how much you two are talking about the the sensory experience of this vehicle, right? So everything from the warmth of the, of the seats to the care taken into the sound to the windshield wipers. It's like, what do we think about when we do, right? Because so much of activism is about being, you know, with other people and being outside in the elements. We kind of have never cracked that nut of what to do, right? <laughs> it's just like when it rains, there's, you know, I've never been to a protest that offered, you know, rain cover yes. uh, in any way. Um uh, or, you know, a way to make the, the experience more pleasurable in a sensory way. It's all about, you know, Sacri- uh, tough it up. Sacrifice. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. We're going to go protest the president in the inauguration in January. And we're going to freeze. And, yes, we will freeze. And what do we do about that? Um, so. Yeah, no, I like the idea of the comfort class of protesting. Because we could do it a lot longer. Well, this goes back to what we were talking about before about the safety of the car, right? Like, and the idea, this, we are in a safe space right now, right? Right. (laughs) A whole other kind of safe space. But, um, you know, how do you make people who are going to be doing something maybe they haven't done before that could feel risky, um, feel comfortable? Right. That the car will take care of them or that, that the vehicle that we're moving through will take care of them. Um, how do you do that, right? Right. Um, I just want to read you a quote from the designer of the car that I found. And he said, uh, I start with what intuition tells me about the market and get the team going on that. You look at trends around the industry, fashion, culture, what people are buying, what they say they want now, and project that into the future. The fun part is putting those ideas onto paper and going from there. We could, that sounds like something we could say, right? Definitely. Right. And what's interesting about that is... As you pointed out, Steve, it, it, he doesn't mention cars. Yeah. Because it's, in the end, it's not a car isn't being sold here, right? Right. It's a lifestyle. It's an aspiration. It's a fit for you. And, like, to think about how, yeah, how we make... Like, a lot of activism fits for activists, right? Yeah. And it doesn't really fit for other people. And to understand that activists have a particular way of understanding the world... But there's nothing about the action of activism or the action of transforming and changing the world that has to go along with the other sort of shit that we bring with it. Does that make sense? Like, what would a Chevy Suburbanization of activism look like? 
without the wasteful gas, without the ecological destruction, but like understanding sense of safety, the sense of power, the sense of being taken care of. You know, so Pat, you talked a little bit about more comfort. Right. So basically you're asking, how do we stop Ford focusing the movement? (laughs) Or worse, Prius. Prius. Right, exactly. Because then that becomes a stereotype, like this becomes a stereotype of the wealthy Westchester person. The Prius is the stereotype of the activist. There's another thing too I was thinking about is like, no matter what I do, it's going to be okay. And I'm thinking about like the recent ele- uh, election, and there was a lot of people that went out going door to door for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I think what one of the things that works well about how that kind of door to door canvassing works now is that they train people so that all right, no matter what happens, you have a response or. If you don't feel comfortable, you can leave, right? Like, to make people feel like you're going to be okay in any situation. We're going to pair you up, you know. Like, that they think about that because um, they're, you're you're in going into, as we were talking about before, like, the the, the busy highway the, the where there's chaos, where anything can happen. And to feel like you've got a plan or there's there's sort of things in place to protect you yeah. um, are really important to enable people to do that. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I do feel like if it becomes icy, the car is going to know what to do, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and maybe this becomes or if a way, it hits the wall, you're right. going to be able to get out of the car and it'll be fine. The airbags, yeah. You know, worst case scenario, you'll be okay. And maybe that you know part of that is about running through scenarios whenever you do any sorts of actions, right? What can happen? What's likely to happen? What's not likely to happen? You know, but also it might be that <clears throat> the car takes care of that. So maybe we don't all have to take care of it, but we assign people in our groups to be contingency planners. And they're the ones that, like, run through all the different contingencies, and we kind of trust them to say, look, if this happens, have a plan for us. If that happens, have a plan for us. Because I don't know if I... What I like about this car is I don't have to think about it. It's being thought of for me. I wonder, too, if you could ask people, um, instead of what do you want to do like who do you want to be in this what who, what do you want your role to be mm-hmm. instead of like we need volunteers to oh. do this yeah like okay we, you want to be a part of this thing this project that we're doing or this change that we're making who do you who do you see yourself as in this right yeah. like a, a sort of way of getting the identity <coughs> question out instead of like we have these roles and tasks can right. you sign up mm-hmm. for um but like how do you how would you like to feel at the end of this um you know maybe additional intake questions for volunteers that get at uh the the thoughts and feelings and the um and the identity part of who, who do you want to be and who do you want to be seen as mm-hmm. in this group um and so maybe you won't be able to address it every time but it, i wonder what we could do if we had that information you know what i mean well, I like that thinking, right? Because it is the it's the flip, and in order to feel a certain way, there are roles and tasks that you have to take on in order to get that. But it just yes. changes what's the end part, right? What's after this is done? How do you want to feel? And that's a great way to get people thinking about it as an experience yeah. rather than a set of right uh, set of um, uh, you know drudgery tasks to do. Yes. Um, I don't know 
it's been a while since we've done one of these episodes. I'm not sure if we've talked about this before, but one of the things that we'll ask people when we're working with them is, what do you want the audience to think? What do you want them to do? And what do you want them to feel? And turning that in with the people that you're working with also, I think, is something we haven't talked about, but is a useful thing to at least have that information so that you can work with it. And, you know, one of the things, um, we're on the highway, and I'm seeing all these different cars, and now I'm starting to see them all in terms of different personality types. I mean, some is like, okay, I got a Honda, a Hyundai, Elantra because I can afford it, right? But then... This Audi kind of SUV went by, a Mustang went by, um, a pickup truck went by. And realizing there, there's all these different fits for people. And this goes back to your idea, how do you, what do you want to do and how do you want to be? Is instead of it's like one size fits all, we really understand that people want to do and want to feel and want to be um, different things. Right? And make spaces in our organizations for that expression. So, Steve, we're getting close to our next undisclosed location. Ah, yes. The surprise. Ooh, King's Highway. Thing. We're back in Brooklyn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a big circle. We are not. <laughs> um, well, all right. Now we need to make a decision. Is Pat going to drive? Yeah, no. I, I, don't, I don't need to have that experience. Thank you. Um, so, for these newer cars... Do you still need to know things like how to change a tire? No, you got a warranty. Yeah. Roadside oh. roadside assistance. Yeah. There's a jack in the back, but, you know. Okay. It's all yeah. taken care of. I did change a tire once on a car. I was very oh, proud of yeah. myself when I did that. Yeah. Oh, I almost hit that car. So <laughs> you're going to want to get off at exit 28 up here. Okay. We're going to wrap up the Chevy Suburban episode because we the whole time... We've been driving to an undisclosed third location. I'll give you a hint. We're in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Pat and Steve Duncombe have never done this. Or no, wait, Steve, you've done I've this never, before. I've never, never done this before. I've always wanted to. And actually, I have a list of Christmas gifts. Now. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see you next time on the Pop Culture Salvage Expedition. Chevy Suburban, the vehicle that does just about everything, always has, always will.